0: You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today, and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Well, good morning, Bay Shore. Good to see everybody this morning here at Millsboro, Millsboro, 1030. Great to see you guys. Uh, I was at the 9 o'clock service this morning speaking at Femic Island. We had tons of people there. We're reaching that community, and our Rehoboth campus is doing well. You guys are doing well. What a great group we have here. I want to say, first of all, thank you to the volunteers that helped out with VBS. Would you give the volunteers a hand? We had just a great VBS started out with 90, some kids. It was incredible. What a great, uh, great week we had here. It was so good. And it was just so exciting to be with the kids. I just loved every minute of it. it. was so good. Uh, this week is July 4th. One of my favorite holidays. I love July 4th and excited about that. Um, we are, Karen and I are actually flying to Texas tomorrow to visit some friends and I got a little ministry to do down there. So, uh, never been in Texas before on July 4th. Don't know what that's going to be like. I guess they celebrate it down there. I su- I assume, you know, they're like their own country down there. So it's interesting, you know? And uh, so we're excited about uh, seeing some friends and uh, getting away a little bit. But uh, we are finishing up our series today called Showdown in Egypt. We've been talking, I don't know how many weeks we've been working on this, talking about the book of Exodus, so many things to talk about. And we just like touched the uh, surface of so many things. But today we're going to be looking at A great moment in the story uh, as the children of Israel leave Egypt and uh, the Red Sea experience. One of the most famous uh, stories in all the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at that, what it means. And so I want to read to you a little bit of the text here, Exodus 14, 1 through 9. We like to start with the text, read the Bible. We respect the Bible at Bayshore. So uh, we're going to start by reading it. Then we'll talk about how this works for us and how it helps us in our life. Exodus 14, 1 through 9. Says then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharoth, between Migdol and the sea. They are to camp by the sea, directly opposite Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have you done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the sea, near Harath, opposite Belzephon. Well, this is a, this is a really uh, great story because it comes right on the heels of the Passover. We looked last week at the Passover, the blood of the substitutionary lamb was shed, put on the doorposts. So when the judgment of God came into Egypt, they passed over, passed over the houses that had the blood applied to those doorposts. So that was a, an incredible picture of salvation. You know, the book of Hebrews uh, takes off on this point and says that it's not the blood of bulls and goats that brings us salvation, but the precious blood of Christ. So we see in the book of Exodus, we see this uh, picture of salvation, what it's about. We see, you know, the reason that we're protected from God's judgment, his righteousness. He loves us so much, but yet he is a righteous God. So there had to be a substitute, an innocent substitute that was substitute for uh, our sins. And so we see the blood put on the doorpost. And when the judgment came in, the Bible says that God passed over the houses that had the blood on the doorpost. So now they're leaving town. They're leaving town. They're gonna get out of Egypt after 430 years. They're getting out of town. Have you ever uh, wanted to get out of town? Need to get out of town? Want to see the, your hometown in the rear view mirror as you go on a trip and get away? It's a wonderful experience. We all experience that sometimes. But I wanna ask you, have you ever had problems getting out of town? Have you ever had anything go wrong when you try to get out of town? You're trying to leave town, and things go wrong. Everybody here has a story of trying to get away, and something goes wrong, and you have a difficulty getting out of town. I remember one of my first missionary trips that I ever took, maybe my first missionary trip a number of years ago. I was going to Germany with one of the elders in the church, and we were going to be gone for three weeks. So, we had a station wagon. I don't know if you remember station wagons. Some of you remember station wagons. Station wagons, uh, how many ever drove a station wagon? If you're old enough to run, ride in a station wagon, some of you rode in the back of station wagons. You know, as kids, you know, the seat, you know, pointing the wrong direction and all that. But uh, we had our luggage on a luggage rack on top of the station wagon. Had it strapped down. We're on our way to 404. Had to fly out of BWI. So we're flying uh, out of BWI. So we're heading to Bridgeville. And we get to Bridgeville. You used to have to go through Bridgeville to get to 404. Now you kind of go around. But you used to have to go through Bridgeville. And so we're at the stoplight getting ready to go into Bridgeville. And somebody knocks on my door and he said, sir, two of your bags fell off the top of the station wagon back there on the highway. Well, that's good to know glad we know that. Thank you for telling us that. So we like did a UE, went back to look for our bags, could not find our bags. Could not find them because some good Samaritan had picked up our bags and taken them to the police station. So we're riding up and down 13 trying to find our bags and we never ever found our bags. Had to go to Germany. We had to fly to Germany. We were going to miss the flight. So we fly to Germany and had to buy German underwear and go through this whole thing. (laughs) So you know, what happens. I remember one time, uh, one of my friends, he was, he got his oil changed in his minivan. They're getting ready to go on a trip. They think they're going to Oklahoma and they are, got their oil changed at one of those, not, I wouldn't say it's Jiffy Lou, but place like that. One of those places they specialize in changing the oil. So they got the oil changed and they're on their way to Oklahoma and the engine light comes on, and the engine burned up because the people forgot to put the oil back in the minivan. Now, I I would say that would be basic training in the oil lube (laughs) industry. When you take the oil out, put it back in. But that was a big, big mess. You know, that happened. And, uh, you know, we have trouble getting out of town sometimes. And you know, I don't know if you've ever, you know, uh, what we have in this story is we have, the, we have the Egyptians tailgating, tailgating the Israelites as they're trying to get out of town. Have you ever had anybody tailgate you? Anybody tailgate you? And how do you respond to that? When I get tailgated, it does something in my spirit. I don't act very Christian-like. I don't know what's wrong with me. I slow down when people are tailgating me. I slow down into a, to a crawl. But when we look at the story today, we see Israel trying to get out of town, trying to go to the promised land, trying to go to their destiny. They've had the Passover, and they want to move forward with God's plan for their life. And they get tailgated and followed by the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are determined to bring them back to Egypt. The Egyptians are... Uh, sort of uh, remorseful that they let them go because these people provided free labor for them. And they had a change of mind and wanted to bring them back to where they had been. They wanted to re-incarcerate them. They wanted to put them back in bondage after they had been made, given liberty out of their bondage. Now, I want you to know something that's true about your Christian life and it's true about my Christian life. When you and I decide to follow Christ, when we decide to be a follower of Jesus, the enemy, the devil, doesn't just say, well, on, lost that one. The enemy doesn't just fold his arms and say, "Wow, well, I wish we hadn't lost that person. The enemy, like the Egyptians, pursue us to try to bring us back into captivity to try to begin to talk us out of our salvation, talk us out of, you know, hey, you know that you know this can't be real. You can never do this. This is not really true. And the enemy tries to pull us back in to Egypt after we've been set free out of Egypt. This is very important for us to remember this. There is always going to be a counterattack from the enemy after you come to Christ. After you decide to follow Jesus There's gonna be an attack to bring you back into captivity. So I wanna ask you this question Who are our pharaohs? Who is the pharaoh that tries to bring us back? Who are our pharaohs? Here's the first thing our pharaoh is, first of all, this is important to remember the pharaoh that we deal with, there's a devil. There is a real devil. In 2023, I wanna go public and say there's still a devil. There's a devil. And the devil has a whole host of army. Just the way the pharaoh had 600 chariots, the devil has demons. In fact, many scholars believe where demons came from were when the uh, angels fell out of heaven. A third of the angels fell out of heaven. We don't know how many angels there were, but many people believe that these disembodied spirits are now the demons that work under Satan's direction. So, when you think about, do you have an enemy that's seeking to work against you in your Christian life, trying to discourage you, trying to talk you out of your faith, trying to undermine the Bible, undermine the values of Christianity, is there a voice that maybe is not just your imagination? It could be a voice of the devil or his demonic hosts that are trying to work against you. There's a pharaoh, just as a pharaoh... And the army came with Pharaoh to bring them back into bondage. There is a spiritual counterattack on your life from the devil. And you say, well, Pastor Danny, how can you believe in the devil? You're supposedly an educated man and have some sophistication in 2023. Here's how I get my theology. I get my theology from Jesus. I go from Jesus and I work my way back into the rest of the Bible. What does Jesus believe about devils? Now, here's an interesting thing. I love what Andy Stanley says. Andy Stanley and I don't agree on everything, not that we talk all the time. We never talk, I met him one time, so. But uh, I don't, I, I, I love Andy Stanley, some of the great things he's doing. But Andy Stanley says this, and I like this. He says, if anybody can predict their death, and their resurrection and pull it off, we pretty much go with whatever he says. And that's for me. I believe that Jesus did that, and so when he makes a position on theology, that's where I get my theology from. Let me talk to you a little bit about where do we get a theology from Jesus that there's a devil? Well, let's start with this one. This is a basic one. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you pray this, Our Father which art in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but listen to this, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, if your Bible, if you read in a translation says deliver us from evil, it's wrong. It's wrong because in the Greek, it's the, it's, it has the personance there. It is the evil one. We're to pray every day, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. There is an evil one. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Lord, deliver us from the evil one that you're battling with. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers of darkness. Now, I believe that, you know, if you're struggling emotionally, you need to see a good Christian therapist, and you need to, you know, do everything you need to do, and uh, I'm very pro-counseling for people. There is another dimension, and that other dimension is you have an enemy that's tormenting you mentally. There's a devil that says you're a loser. There's a devil that says you're never going to make it. There's a devil that says you're never going to be better than your parents. There's a devil that says you should just give up following Christ. There's a devil that says you need to just live promiscuously because it doesn't matter. You're going to live and you're going to die, and that's the end of it. That's what you hear in your head, and that comes from the devil. The Bible says Jesus said in John that he's the father of lies. He lies to us all the time. He tells us things that aren't true. Things that you hear in culture, things that you hear in the movies, things that you hear and you see and you're exposed to in our culture, there's an underlying force behind that. It's trying to convince you of certain things that are not true. So there is a real devil. Jesus believed in a real devil. And one of the things that you fight with after you become a Christian is a real devil. Matthew 4, one through 10, we're not gonna read it all. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. After he was baptized, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And then it says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus conversed with the devil because the devil was talking to him. So we need to remember that. And it's, it's throughout the New Testament. Remember when, uh, when Peter, you know, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. Peter takes him up to, to the side and says, uh, hey, listen, Jesus, that's you're getting a little carried away here now. That's not going to happen to you. Jesus said, "Get behind me, Satan." You're being influenced by the devil to say that. So, first of all, I want you to hear the importance of knowing that there is a devil. Let me give you a few little things here. Um, uh, there's. Uh, l- let me just read like James four seven. I got I got like a hundred scriptures here. Let me give you a couple. James four seven. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, Be alert and sober, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. One of the mistakes of the modern church is we are teaching only psychology. We're teaching like, hey, let's think positively. Let's all that. I'm all about that, pe- thinking positively and all that. But let me tell you something. You are facing a real spiritual entity that you need to understand this is a real thing. And the Lord can give you grace and power over dealing with that. One third of the ministry of Jesus dealt with uh, the demonic and that type of thing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And then we already mentioned Ephesians 6, 6 9 and 10. So that's the first thing. Uh, here's what uh, C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said about uh, devils. By the way, if you want to read something interesting on the beach this summer, uh, you can read the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Screwtape Letters. Anybody here ever read the Screwtape Letters? Great, great little satire written by C.S. Lewis in 1942. It's about a, a demon, a uh, guy named screw, uh, screw, uh, Screwtape, who is the uh, mentor of Wormwood, this little demon, how to deceive a, a British man, Named The Patient. And he does this satire and dialogue about how Satan works to undermine our thinking. But here's what C.S. Lewis says. This is really good about what we should think about the, the devil. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So in other words, you can go to the extreme where you say, you know, uh, there, there's a devil everywhere and just talk about the devil all the time and that's everything. Or you can go, the, you know, the pr- approach where it says there, this is just superstition and there's not a devil. So C.S. Lewis, and here's what we've done in our time, we've gone to this extreme, not even thinking about the reality of that. So when you think about your spiritual battle that you have once you begin to follow Christ, think about the image of Pharaoh and the, uh, and the chariots coming to re-incarcerate, put them back in bondage, there's a, a, a direct result of them beginning to follow the plan of God for their life. And there's a, there's a kind of a, a counterattack that's going on there. Uh, one of my favorite uh, singers back in, the, uh, back in the 80s was a guy named Keith Green. He's uh, deceased now, had a plane accident. Keith Green, some of you may know Keith Green. He had a very, very great song called Satan's Boast, and it's a song written in the voice of Satan. And it's called No One Believes in Me Anymore. And he says, here's just a little bit of the song. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make the night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. So when you say this with me, there is... A real devil. Jesus taught it. It's part of what I deal with. So it's important important to know that. Uh, so what are the what are the pharaohs that we deal with to that wants to reincarcerate us, bring it back to, into Egypt? We got the we got the devil. We got his demonic associates. We've got the world. The world. We have the devil, the flesh, and the world that we deal with. And the world is, a, is an organized system that has values that are against the purposes of God. It says in the book of James, do not love the world or the things in the world. The world is actually a basic systemized way of thinking that positions itself against God's purpose and the values of God and the purposes of God are resisted by the world. And when you think about what you're dealing with in your life, what's trying to pull you back into Egypt, is sort of like, you know, if you've ever ridden a bike, if you've been a cyclist, and you ride the bike, and you've got the wind behind your back, and you're flying down the highway, but when you turn that bike around, and you're, you're pedaling in the wind, have you ever ridden a bike in the wind, or jogged in the wind? It's like, it is so hard, because everything's against you. When you leave this place... And you go to university or you go to the place where you work, you're running in the wind because there's a value system, a world system that is pushing against you. So what what wants to pull us back to Egypt? Well, you've got got the devil, you got the world, and then you got your flesh, your flesh. And we have this fallen flesh that we have, and this is called the old man that we deal with. We have this fallen flesh that we, that we wrestle with. And, uh, and so it's a reality. When we become a Christian, we're born again. We have a new nature that's put inside us. We still have this old nature, this old nature that, that gravitates back toward Egypt. The old nature always gravitates back toward Egypt. So when I'm trying to follow Jesus, I got this old nature, you know, that just wants to go back. To Egypt. It's more comfortable in Egypt. And we deal with that on a regular basis. You, I have told you the story hundred times and about my first car. How many remember your first car? Do you remember your first car? Your first car is your first love, isn't it? That first car was the car. My first car was a 1969 white Chevrolet Nova. It wasn't a cool nova, it was a grandma nova. And had a Ford, it was four doors, which wasn't cool in the 70s. And uh, it just wasn't a neat car. But, but it had this, this tensed, temp, propensity to drift to the right. There was something wrong with the ball joint, something wrong with the, with the uh, front end system. And it always wanted to drift to the right. And your old nature wants to always drift back toward Egypt. Always wants to drift back toward Egypt. Your new nature wants to drift and go toward the things of God. So what wants to pull you back? So here's the, t- the, the lesson in the, the metaphor of children of Israel trying to leave Egypt and trying to be pulled back is we deal with the flesh, the devil, and the world is what we deal with. But the first thing they do is they come to, they come to the Red Sea. They come to the water there, and it's a big debate about if it's the Red Sea or the... Um, is the Red Sea or is it, you know, the Reed Sea? There's a big debate that's not going to help anybody if we get into that. So, here's the deal. The first thing that happens to them after the blood is put on the doorpost, the first thing that it, they experience after the Passover lamb has been sacrificed, which symbol salvation, the very first thing they encounter is water. They come to the Red Sea. The very first thing they come to is water. And the Egyptians are coming behind them. The 600 chariots and Pharaoh, they're coming and they're coming behind them. And, and they, they go through the Red Sea on dry ground. Psalms talk about it, Isaiah talks about it. This is a pivotal point in their life. This is something that Israel will remember throughout the Old Testament. It's not just mentioned in Exodus 14 and 15, it goes on and on. You'll find it through the Psalms all the time. This is a monumental moment in their life. They get to the Red Sea and they come to water. Here's the thing, after we come to Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus and we accept the sacrifice of the Passover lamb on the cross for us, the Bible says that Jesus is our Passover lamb. It says in the book of 1 Corinthians, we come to, after we do that, the first thing that happens is they come to water. And the very first thing that always happens in the New Testament is water baptism. Always the first thing in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to say this because, you know, I always get in trouble every time I say this. And I'm getting old, and I just don't care anymore. So I'm going to tell you what I think. There is uh, there's nothing in the Bible about an altar call. There's nothing in the Bible about come forward just as I am, coming forward. And I was raised on that. Love it. You know, I, I'm listening on the radio now, and just as I am comes on, I turn off, you know, I go off the side of the road and pray. I mean, it's just, it's in my mind. It's, but there's nothing, nothing in the Bible that says, if you want to receive Christ, you come forward. Nothing. Nothing in the New Testament. Every time I say it, I get in trouble. People come up to me and say, I can't believe you're attacking altar calls. You're a liberal, you know? They say that to me. I mean, I'm anything but a liberal, but anyhow, you can say it if you want. But there's nothing, nothing. You know where that came from? It came from the second great awakening by Charles Finney in the 1800s where he created the mourning bench. Where Finney would preach. He was a lawyer from, from New York. And he would preach. And he'd want people to be contrite when they come to the Lord. And that he'd create this mourning bench. And people would come forward and mourn over their sins. And that's, that's not a bad thing. It's just that's where it came from, though. But I tell you what is in the Bible. That is every time people put their faith in Jesus, they were immediately water-baptized. You go in the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, it says that Peter was preaching, and he says, you've crucified the Lord, and, and he's preaching about Jesus, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every one of you be baptized. And it says this in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter, that very day, they were baptized. You read about Paul, he has this experience on the road to Damascus, he's blinded, and Ananias, this guy, comes and he said, you know, he didn't really want to go pray for Paul, he's a little nervous about it, and he prays for Paul, and he calls him Brother Saul, and Paul's scales fall off his eyes, and it said immediately, Paul was baptized, Immediately, Paul was baptized. How about this one? Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul and Silas are in the Philippian jail, and they're singing at midnight, and the earthquake comes, and, and, the, and the prisoner's gonna escape, and, the, and the, uh, the, the guard of the jail, the guy in charge of the jail, was gonna kill himself because the prisoners are escaping. He's responsible to the Roman Empire. And, and Paul said, hey, we're all here. We're good. And he went, and he washed Paul's wounds, and Silas's wounds And it says that very night that very night he and his family were baptized they didn't even rate to morning they went public with their faith they got baptized right away the first thing that happens when children of israel come out of egypt and the blood has been on the doors they come to water water is a symbol of baptism and you say pastor danny I'm going to catch up on my Facebook stuff right now because I've been baptized. I've been baptized. I got that done. It's not relevant to me. Let me tell you something. Just the way the Red Sea was pivotal in the Old Testament to a point of reference, our water baptism is pivotal to us throughout our whole Christian life. You're not baptized and forget it. You bapt- when you're baptized, you, um, you see that, Every day when you 're tempted, because what what 's coming after the uh, Israelites are the are the Egyptians that used to keep them in bondage, that used to whip them, used to make them make the uh, the bricks, and these Egyptians are the symbol of their bondage, and they go into the water, and that which had kept them in bondage is now under the water so This week, I was, you know, I was feeling, I had a moment where I felt tempted this week. Let me ask you, let's let's just have an honest question. Let's have a real honest question in church this morning. How many had one moment of temptation at least this week? Just raise your hand, put your hand. You had one moment of temptation. Maybe you're on route one and you know, somebody from New Jersey's in front of you, they cut you off. Maybe you have that, maybe that's your thing. But I had a moment of temptation this week. I'm sitting in my office. Whoa, I had this this thing came across my head. I said, "Jesus. Whoa. That's not. That's not something. That's not that I need that's not right." You say, "Pastor Danny, what was your temptation?" It is none of your business what my temptation was. None of your business. But you know what I did? It was a moment. I I, I went back t- to my baptism. I went back to that moment where that bondage was put under the water. And I envisioned that that thing that was tempting me, I just said that you're dead. You're dead. You've been buried in the sea. You've been buried under my water under the water when I was baptized. That's what it says in Romans 6. He says, the old nature has been buried with Christ. And when somebody's baptized over here in the baptismal pool or at our beach baptism, when they're baptized, we're burying the Egyptians that kept them in bondage. We're burying the promiscuity. We're burying the lust. We're burying the same-sex attractions. We're burying all the stuff that's not of of the kingdom of God. We're burying their anger. Let me ask you this question. How many have ever got a little... Angry or bitter. You ever had some anger or bitter? Just, you, just, just tell me if it's ever happened. You just point to your neighbor. That's happened to them, you know. <laughs> you know, when I, uh, I, I, I don't know how it is for you, but I'm a, I am a person that can be offended. I wish I wasn't that way. Um, you know, I always said that there's people that are, that are Velcro people and people that are Teflon people. Teflon people, you know, things just roll off of them. Nothing sticks to them. Some of you are Teflon people. You know, people can just throw a knife at you, and you're like, oh, whatever. <laughs> so if you're a Velcro person, little things stick to you. I mean, they just, somebody gives you a look that you think's not right. You, you, you're like you're creating a case in your heart against them. But you know what? When you're baptized, you start feeling bitter about somebody, you say, Lord, wait a minute, that bitter man. You know, in fact, I pray every night, forgive, us, forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. That bitter man, that's a dead man. He's under the water. That, that envious man, that jealous man, that man is under the water. Anything that's not Christ-like, It's an Egyptian chariot following you and you have to see that thing under the water and buried because the first thing that happens after the blood is the water. After the blood, you go to the water and you're baptized and you bury the old person you used to be. And that's so liberating, so wonderful to be free that way. It works. It's such a wonderful thing. Let me read you a couple of scriptures, lest you think I'm a little crazy here about this, comparing the Red Sea with water baptism. Here's a scripture for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea that they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. Here's what Alistair Roberts from Dunham University, he's a PhD, smart guy about theology, he says this about that verse in 1 Corinthians 10. The use of the language of baptism to refer to the crossing is arresting. Paul sees in the crossing something analogous to our baptism, Israel's being united with Moses who, as we've seen, experienced his own deliverance from the water many years before. In a similar manner, we were baptized into Christ, united with him in his death and buried with him so that the shape of his resurrection life might become the shape of our life. So before I go to the next point, I want you to to close your eyes for like 10 seconds. I want you to think about your baptism. If you haven't been baptized, that's, that's the next thing on your agenda. If you close your eyes, I want you to go back to that moment. And anything you're struggling with, any, any aberration against the kingdom of God, it's, under, it's, a, it's an Egyptian buried under the water. Buried under the water. And that's what this teaches. One more verse of and we go on to our last point. We're getting pretty close here. Romans 6, 3 through 7. I love this. This is what Paul said, or, do not, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Amen. That we may live a new life. Buried in baptism. The Egyptians who used to beat them, the Egyptians who used to hold them in captivity, the Egyptians who used to control them. Now the Israelites stand on the other side of the Red Sea, and they see those former agents of bondage under the water. And that's what baptism's all about. It's a great thing. So let me give you one more thing here. A couple, well, Actually, two more things real quickly. Here's a neat thing about the, uh, about the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. We, get, we, we see it on TV. We see it on uh, the Ten Commandments. We see how it happens there. It's not how it happened. You know, you see, you see Charlton Heston. You know, he's there, and, and uh, he looks good, doesn't he? Doesn't he look good? Charlton Heston looks good. I don't think Moses looked that good, you know? <laughs> Moses was 80 years old. He was 80 years old. I mean, he's got bad knees. He can't hear. You know, he's got hair grown out of his nose, out of his ears. I mean, he didn't look that good. He was old. He, in fact, didn't have any teeth. He said, let him go. I mean, he didn't really, it wasn't like some big, you know, he wasn't this great person. He just was this agent of God. And we see him on TV and he just like, in the sea parts. That's not at all what the text says. The text says this. Here's what it says in Exodus 14, 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided. All night long. It was a process. It took a long time. It took all night long for the sea to part. And when God works in our life and he does miracles, miracles aren't all instantaneous. Miracles sometimes are progressive. Sometimes there are instantaneous miracles. But if you look at the pattern of God, God does a lot of things progressively. When he created the universe, we have the poem in Genesis chapter 1, first day this, first day that. God could have made everything in one day, but he just progressively created. You see his progressive nature. God is a progressive God. He's a miracle God that works through the wind, and it takes all night long. There's a wonderful family in our church, and I'm not sure if they're here today, they're a wonderful family. Uh, Liz Meredith uh, and uh, Chad, I love these guys. They're wonderful. I play tennis, I played tennis with, Liz, or with Chad's dad every Monday night. We played together tennis for about 10, 12 years on Monday nights. And Liz uh, married a wonderful guy, Chad Meredith, which is my friend's son. Chad's a, a lawyer in uh, Georgetown. And when, when Liz got pregnant uh, with Ensley, uh, it was discovered that she had cancer. She had cancer. So she couldn't have any treatment. She couldn't have any treatment. So she had to, you know, take care of, you know, having the child. And then when treatment was, when the baby was born, Ensley was born, then they could begin treatment. And after Ensley after, was nine months old, I got a call one night from my friend, John. We were, it was on a Monday night, we we're supposed to play tennis, and he said, uh, he said, Liz is really bad. They got bad news from the doctor. And when she was, when Ensley, the little baby, was nine months old, she found out she had stage four breast cancer, stage four breast cancer. And they were devastated, of course. And I met with Chad that night, and John, we prayed, prayed for, for Liz, and we prayed for their whole family. And we have, a, we have a little group here on Monday mornings that come at 8 o'clock. They sit over in that corner, just a little group of people, and they pray over the needs that come in on Sunday morning. They pray, and they pray, and they pray. They pray by name, and they've been praying for Liz. They've been praying for the Lord to touch Liz. Pastor Jeff has a, a group, a network of people that pray for people that have needs. And we've been praying for Liz, praying for her and praying for her. And this week she posted on Facebook this wonderful report. And I asked her, I said, Liz, can I post this? And I said, talk to Chad, make sure it's okay. And he said, they said, yes, we'd love for you to post this. Here's what she put on Facebook this week. Some of you have heard, and many have asked, here's the latest update. My newest scans after just three months of my restarted treatments are showing my bone tumors are no longer progressing and many have decreased in size. My liver tumors are also decreasing in size. There's one very small, non-metabolically active new one. The brain tumor is no longer visible on a PET or CT scan. Brain MRI will be done in July. My blood work is showing great results with the cancer antigens decreasing and liver enzymes and bone protein enzymes, all within normal limits." She says, amen. She ends her post. The doctor is very pleased with the results. Praise the Lord. Thank you for all your continued prayers. I think that's a good report. I love hearing reports like that. I am not a cessationist. A cessationist is somebody that says that all the miracles stopped with the apostles and Jesus. And once we had the Bible in canonized form, we no longer need miracles. And so there's no such thing as a miracle. I still believe in miracles. I believe God is sovereign over miracles. I believe some people go to heaven. I don't have all the answers on that, but what I do believe is we need to be proactively seeking God for his miraculous hand to touch people and work in their life. And some miracles are like the wind blowing over the Red Sea, separating the Red Sea over a period of time. And when I think about Liz, I see the, the, the wind blowing and separating the Red Sea progressively bringing a miracle in her life, and that's what I'm believing for. You know, some miracles are just, just take a little while. Sometimes you're praying for people and you think they're never going to get saved. They're never going to get saved. Some miracles just take a while. There are some habits that you're struggling with and you're putting under the blood and all that. And some miracles just take a while. All miracles are not instantaneous. You know what they did when they finished the THE RED SEA EXPERIENCE, AND THEY CROSSED THE RED SEA. THE BIBLE SAYS THAT THEY SAW THE EGYPTIANS FLOATING. THEY SAW THE, the DEVASTATION OF THEIR ENEMIES. THE VICTORY WAS FINALLY SECURE. And they paused, and you read chapter 15. It's a poem of celebration of God's faithfulness taking care of them. And Miriam took out a tambourine, and Miriam began to dance, and they began to savor the moment of victory. They began to savor what God has done for them. What happens to us is we go through something, we have some big deal, deal happens in our life, and we get through it, and we move on to the next thing. We don't stop to savor the moment of victory. We need to savor the moments when God does something good. Don't just move on to the next thing and say, check, I got that done. Stop. Lift up your hands. Take a tambourine and praise the Lord. Amen. When a football team or baseball team wins the World Series or the Super Bowl, they pop the champagne. I've got a picture, I think, of the 2021 Atlanta Braves when they won the uh, Super Bowl, or not Super Bowl, when they won the World Series, they pop the champagne. Just would you lift your hands with me and pop the champagne this morning? Would you say, God? Thank you for what you've done. Just thank him. Just thank him out of your heart right now. Thank him for what he's done for you. He's helped you. He's brought you through. He's been faithful to you. The Lord's been good to you. He's taken you through the valleys. He's taken you through the storms. You're standing on your feet. You went through that horrible thing, and there you are standing. And maybe you didn't take enough time standing on the shore of the Red Sea to thank him. But, Lord, this morning we thank you that you've been faithful to us, you have taken care of us, you've held us in your arm, and you've secured us with your power and your strength. So, God, we pray for the Spirit of the Lord to make us a thankful people, to be overflowing with thanksgiving. May we be overflowing with thankfulness because of your goodness in our life. And there's some of you right now that are needing a miracle. A miracle is not, you know, through some televangelist. A miracle is through Jesus. Just right now, let Jesus touch you. Say, Lord, I need a miracle here. Let the wind blow over my sea. Make a way where there seems to be no way. We pray right now for the power of God to give miracles to your people in this place. In Jesus' name, And everybody said
0: amen and amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.